Welcome to the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. We're super excited to be back again at the Commonwealth Club. We have a lot of great fall programming, and uh, I'm just so grateful for my co-host, John Zipper, of the Commonwealth Club, who graciously accepts all my programming ideas and says, yes, do it. If there's space, we're going to have a show. You've got a million ideas. That's <laughs> I do have a million ideas. And, and then the greatest thing about you know this program, if you're here for the first time, the show is what I like to call, it's a conversation or a discussion around social justice with an intersectional approach. And every topic or issue that we talk about, you know, we should be talking about it with inclusion. And that's why I say it's your LGBTQ and LMNOP and the A through Z. I can't even say my own thing right. (laughs) Um, But anyway, today's a great day. We have two pillars, leaders of the LGBTQ community, the transgender community here in the San Francisco Bay Area who has... Uh, made history first and foremost. They made a lot. They are considered a lot. A lot of firsts, and we'll talk about what those firsts, you know, mean. Uh, but also, in my opinion, will uh, will go down in history as as far as modernizing arts. And I think it eventually we'll be able to say in our lifetime that they are smashing the patriarchy to, to some degree and you know, changing the arts and entertainment and performance world, less of the binary and more of uh, the, probably changing it so that it's it's completely inclusive. And that is that is our wish. So first, I'll introduce Shauna Virago, who's sitting right next to me. Shauna's considered the uh, one of the first out trans punk rock musician, or I should say one of the first transgender performers to go uh, and tour nationally here in this country. At least that's what's written on paper. I would have to say um, that the, doing punk rock, you know, in the 90s is uh, definitely groundbreaking in a lot of ways. And we'll, we'll talk about how the culture had shifted and changed a lot of us who were into that and youths. Um, they also, Shauna also is a director for the San Francisco Transgender Film Festival, which is coming up this November. And then next to Shauna is Sean Dorsey, who is the founder of Sean Dorsey Dance and Fresh Meat Festival or Fresh Meat Productions. Um, also first considered the first uh, to, to do modern contemporary as a transgender performer together. They're a powerhouse. Let's welcome to the program. <laughs> There's so much that we can say about all your work, but I think let's just get started with the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. You so much. I should note, um, I told John this, and uh, Shauna actually was our very, very first guest for the Michelle Miao Show program at the Commonwealth Club. So at the time, we, we were in this room, but we were not yet set up in this way. We were around a conference table and pulled in all this new equipment and just sitting around a conference table. So we're welcoming Shauna back, but making history again by having Sean with Shauna. (laughs) 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 Um, Let's get started with a a, a simple question. I'd like to know kind of, you know, that moment for for each of you that you realize that you're really good at what you do and this is what you're going to do. So, for example, Shauna, we'll start with you. The moment for, for you that you said, hey... I'm a punk rock artist. I'm a rock star. Um, I'm not sure I've 
I've had that moment when I say I'm a rock star yet. <laughs> Hopefully that will be very soon. But, <laughs> um, well, I um, actually, I came out in the 80s and um, I had already been into punk music and punk culture um, since the late 70s. And so um, for me, the, you know, trans people, we always have to have these origin stories about when we first knew we were trans and kind of a, an origin story about what we call our transition. But for me, punk music and punk culture was probably in some ways the most seminal kind of um, period in my life. And so I feel like from that, um, there's, you know, it's hard to believe now. Wasn't When I started, people weren't even slam dancing. That wasn't a thing yet. So that came later. And it was really about originality. There was a lot of queer presence in punk, I think, culture. And a lot of um, critiquing authority and critiquing power. So if you went to a, a punk show in Los Angeles, let's say in... 1980 or 1981, you would have all kinds of political zines being passed out where actions were going to happen. A lot of critique of the, uh, the person I thought was the worst president of all time, Ronald Reagan. And I thought, well, it can't get worse than this guy. <laughs> and here we are. And so I think... Um, there was this pressure on trans people to kind of go down this path and become part of the gender binary. And that kind of meant erasing your own history and your own struggles. And I knew that just wasn't possible for me also as a singer songwriter. So I think that I just carried that into when I was first, as they say, living full time. And what that means is, is nebulous. And once we, we take the overlay of the gender binary off all of our lives, we realize we're transitioning endlessly, hopefully, in positive ways. Unlike the, um, the kind of middle-aged and older cisgender white men currently in power who, you know, have refused to transition with the changing demographics of our country and um, ecological disasters awaiting us. They're the ones that have a gender problem, mm -hmm. those guys, as we know. Right. Not us. We're better than they are anyways. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll, get, we're, we'll definitely you know, talk about this administration. Um, but, Sean, it, you know, the, that moment in which you said to yourself, like, I'm a really good dancer. And, <laughs> you, well, what's, what would be the word for an, not a rock star, but a, <laughs> do they just call him, like, yeah, dan a, a professional dancer how about that <laughs> um well maybe i'll tell the story of it what maybe kind of the 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 pre-story to that but for me a story of when something clicked like this is what i'm supposed to do mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so um perhaps not surprisingly uh listeners may know that modern dance is like one of the most vehemently violently profoundly gendered art forms and dance forms. And so I really um, grew up loving dance with every fiber in my being. And I was always dancing around my living room and my leotard to my, my vinyl albums, which I know dates me a little bit, right? Um, but I never saw a single person like me and 
a single trans person in modern dance. And so I was like, oh, that that's what I love to do in my living room. But of course, I could never do that in the world. And um, my identity was really... Um, was totally wrapped up in being of service and doing social justice work and organizing. That was my identity. That was my my passion, my my heart's calling. Um, and so skipping ahead, long story short, I dropped out of grad school for my, my real activist work to take a year off. I'm making air quotes, take a year off and go to dance school. And, um, you know, in dance programs, students generally make little baby pieces of choreography, right? So I made my first little piece in the dance school and I got permission to work with an outside dancer because there was nobody else who identified as queer in the program and so I made this duet and it was text-based and kind of dance theater like all my stuff has been ever since and, you know, it was like probably four minutes long. It was this little baby piece, right? But the dance, the whole dance community came out for these recitals and I got all this great feedback from like from real choreographers and real professional dancers saying, we love your, we love your young choreographic voice. We're really excited to see where you go. And nobody was weirded out. It was like they were just paying attention to, the, to my very young craft. Um, but the next day when I came back to school, the director of the program came and um, got me at morning, probably it was the morning modern technique class and said, I want to talk to you after class. So I went to her office and she said, sit down. And all I remember from that conversation was her saying, your piece last night made people feel very uncomfortable, which was totally a lie. It didn't. I got great feedback on it. And somehow I had the presence of mind or presence of self-worth to say to myself, no, it didn't. Um, And she ended up withholding my certificate when I graduated from the program. But in that moment, I remember just sitting across from her and this person with all this power, you know, this white cisgender, supposedly heterosexual, I don't think so, woman sitting with all this power and the power to withhold my graduation certificate, um, saying that what, who I was and the art I wanted to make made people uncomfortable. And so all the years of like gendered restrooms and changing rooms and never seeing myself ever in the class, in the audition, anywhere, all just came back to me and... I was like, I have found my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do, right? This is how I can affect change in the world. And so I don't think it was not, I was not considering myself a rock star or yet remotely a professional dancer, but it was kind of something shifted in that moment that I was like, this is, this is actually the, a full alignment of my full authentic self and how I can affect change in the world. So, And what a strange criticism for her to have had that it made some people uncomfortable yeah, art does that sometimes. Right. <laughs> often yeah. an intended thing. Of, of right. It. Yeah, it was like, I definitely, what I heard her saying was that she felt uncomfortable. And I think she had her own personal closeted issues, perhaps. Um, and it was that thing of like me just seeing her discomfort uh, at the same time as being really validated by all kinds of heterosexual and cisgender folks who were able to just identify with my very young, yeah. you know, whatever I was saying artistically. And yeah. Well, I, I take that a little bit further. I, I used to read a lot of a writer who had once had a teacher or professor say, you're awful. You'll never become anything. He went on to become 
he won dozens and dozens of awards and you know wrote movies and TV and every time he won an award he would send a copy of it to this professor <laughs> and I later knew a student of his of this professor's who said oh yeah he talked about him all the time and it drove him crazy have you ever had any contact with this person who you know I haven't although as you're saying that in real time I'm thinking about the fact that I am very 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 blessed to um, this month I just became the first transgender person on the cover of Dance Magazine, which is kind of the U.S.'s big dance magazine, but it's also, you know, it's people subscribe around the world, and I'm like, I bet that she most likely is looking at that (laughs) magazine. I want an autographed copy of it. Maybe I can trade it in for my graduation certificate. (laughs) I didn't mention this in the, the intro, and again, there's just so much about your work. You've done incredible work for lots of many years here um, in our community. But I should mention that you are also lifelong partners. And one of my questions, and I don't think I've ever asked you <laughs> this, but if you're comfortable, would you share how you met and, you know, the whole falling in love stuff? Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, this, what's that show, The Dating Game, or, they, or the uh, newlywed game, and they... They, you find out they're telling different stories and they don't really know each other's story. But I think we have the same story. Um, this is a test. Right, it's a totally test. a test. Should, should I go first? Yeah, you can go first. You want to go first? Well, I know that, I mean, I feel like the story might begin that I saw you. Right. So um, in 2001, there was... Um, it wasn't called a festival. It was called like an event series, but um, it was like a week-long festival and event series of events that was really historic here in the Bay Area called Trans Art 2001 that was put on, organized by Jordy Jones um, and was really the first ev- event series of its kind. Um, there, were, there was like a panel at the GLBT Historical Society. There was a performance event. There was all kinds of stuff all week. And it was at a time in the city when there really was no trans artistic programming, except for, um, that was regular, except for the film festival and a lot of great one-off things and clubs and stuff. But um, so there was a performance event and it was at the library in the, what's, I don't know what that. The main Perform- library? Yeah, the main library. There's that performance space. I forget what it's called, but there's like a, there's an auditorium in there. And so I went with it. I think I was volunteering. I was volunteering at an usher or something. And, and then Shauna played with her band and she came striding on stage with like a skin tight, ankle length, slinky dress and big high heel boots and her electric guitar. And me and my friend were like, who is that? Oh. And we instantly had total crushes on Shauna Virago. And then after your set, maybe there was like an intermission in the event or afterward. And I was like, hey, I really loved your set. And uh, like, do you, have an, do you like have an email list or something? And <laughs> I think you were like, I don't, but we maybe exchanged emails or something like that. Or I forget. Very on a very professional basis, of course, purely to get information on future events. Um, so that, and then there was a an after party. Yes. Well, there <clears throat> there was an after party at Cafe du Nord mm-hmm. bar club on Market Street, and um, it was it was a fairly small event. And then Sean showed up um, to the party, mm-hmm. and I just you know I thought. Oh, who's this cute guy? And really, really saw him not 
like at the busyness of the event, but just at this small after party. And um, that was where we were first, that day was really where we, we first saw each other. And, um, but then Sean went, he left the city for a while, came back later in the year and um, called me and, you know. Or then it was, then it was the film festival the next fall and you had a film. I forget if this was, this this was maybe right before you became sole director of the film Mm -hmm. festival Mm -hmm. and you had a film and. I was just with a groupie and came out to all the things that Shauna was like, the Q&A, and Shauna was playing a show mm-hmm. during the film festival. And so I am, um, and Jordy Jones was at the festival. And so at that point, Jordy was kind of our friend in common. And so I remember being in front of the Roxy Theater and saying to Jordy, tell Shauna I want to kiss her. And then I went running down the street. I was so shy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think Jordy, I think he got, maybe we had the, emails. Yeah. Anyway, so we just started, we had a long like email tryst and we had like a long kind of courting period um, before we started dating. We did. We had, um, actually we had a long email courting period um, that were very kind of raunchy emails. <laughs> and I, I didn't, so modern, so I didn't know what I was getting myself into really initially with some of the playfulness of the emails. I thought, man, this guy's a real player, you know? <laughs> no and way. then after, um, I don't know, it probably was like a week of emails. I think it was like six, we kept all the emails. It was a, it was a while. And then we had our first date in the Castro. Uh, we met at Starbucks. And then we had, um, eventually, then we had, a, you know, I think December 2001, we kind of officially started dating and... Um, one thing I will say, which was very cool all from the get-go, was I think um, Sean was such, always such a conscious person, and I felt, unlike the sort of um, slightly like feral, not very nice people I had unfortunately spent a lot of time dating before, that he had really done a lot of work on himself. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was also like immediately, we just had this sort of transparency, then we could share a lot of our stuff. And um, yeah, it was just, I don't know, I feel so, I feel like I must have done something right in like my past lives oh. to have ended up with John Dorsey. I think it's the perfect mix for the perfect leaders and perfect people who are going to change the world. I mean, <laughs> and the, you know, and I'll ask more about how this all comes together and what life is like is a uh, uh, in your home and doing art and and all that great stuff together, John. Well, this may be one of the things you were, would have brought up, but just for both of you, your separate areas of art, and there must be lots of connections. Do you? talk about it a lot at work, I mean, at home, mm-hmm. or, you know, some couples where they're kind of in the same sort of areas, they, they, they keep that very separate just so they have a space from it mm. at home. What, what are you two like as far as your art and your relationship? I think we, I feel like we share a fair amount. And I think maybe there's a benefit to both being artists, but being in different areas, yeah. working in different areas. So we both have a practice, like a daily practice where we get up and we spend the first couple or a few hours of our day at least 
on our art and working on our art. Um, and then we may have coffee or espresso, actually, to be accurate, you know, or breakfast or whatever, and talk about the thing, the ideas we're thinking about. Or um, we definitely, I think we both have very private practices in a certain way, but we trust each other with kind of early editing questions. So I'll bring in something I'm writing for, um, because I choreograph work that also has a lot of um, text and language, and I'm a writer as well, and so I may bring an early draft of something I'm writing for a sound score or dialogue for my dancers, um, and I'll bring that to Shauna before I would ever bring it to anybody outside of, you know, us. Right. Um, yeah, so I think we are each other's, like, cheerleaders and editors and um, creative coaches. Like, if we're both having struggles with whatever it is a block or you know all the you know all the the angst and the glory that the artist life comes with if we're sitting in that hard stuff we'll kind of coach each other or cheerlead each other through through that because we know what that feels like what about disagreements is shauna you know responding in a (laughs) we're rocking out to a song to you while you're choreographing or doing some interpretive dance back and, and then that's how you get through your arguments <laughs> totally dance it out yeah. right dance it out <laughs> I love that image yeah um, that, that was that was just a joke it might, uh, might, it's a great idea it's a very well, constructive idea <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, you know, when my wife and I argue, she's a she does she did comedy for a really long time, stand up comedy, but in this like uh, opera thing from Thailand. So t- sometimes she responds with a a, a joke, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then it goes over my head, and then I get it, and then I start <laughs> laughing, and then I'm like, oh, well, that was such a great way of using the whole argument. Um, let's talk about being like you know the first. I kept mentioning you have a lot of first titles, so. Sean had just mentioned being the first out transgender person on the cover of a big dance magazine, um, being uh, considered the first to out trans, you know, choreographer, performer as modern contemporary dance. Shauna, of course, we mentioned being the first out to tour nationally and uh, to do, you know, uh, performing and out in punk rock in how does that all you know, make you feel looking back after all these years and you continue to rack up the firsts? Um, well, you know, it's, I think we're very, I, I feel um, very process oriented and very much that you kind of, you kind of live the same day over and over again. So whether you're, you know, um, for example, I mean, I was in I was in my thirties when I met Sean, and he was in his late twenties, and so now I'm in my fifties. He's in his forties, but in some ways, you know, we keep ha- it's the same day. It's the only day we're going to have is this day, and so that potential to hopefully be, you know, six in our sixties uh, or seventies, we'll have that, and um, so I think it's kind of thinking about. I know this sounds crazy, but there's sort of the historical time we're living in, and there's this other kind of parallel process that each of us is going through, where it's really all you have is this one day. And I think that 
from the time we started was kind of a grounding principle. And I think we both found out we both kind of shared that. And um, I also want to say, from the time we started dating, what I appreciated was Sean was a white person committed to examining um, white supremacy and his own benefit as a white person. Because I thought, um, before Sean, I really did, I'd gotten to a point where I thought, you know, I just, I don't know if I can ever date a white person ever again. Because mm. it just seemed that just some of the things that um, I think are important or that we should, we should just be aware of on, a, again, a daily basis as white people in this white supremacist culture, it just seemed really hard to find that. And that even if somebody was maybe having a hard time because they're trans, that doesn't excuse them if they're especially white to not examine maybe some of the benefits and privileges they have as a white person. So I'm sorry, I'm sure I didn't answer your question, but I felt that that stuff from as far as the first goes, for me, he was like the first white person that was really there and committed to that stuff. And I, I feel like both of us kind of being, I mean, luckily left coast anti-oppression queers, that was nice. So, yeah. You did answer the question, actually. And oh, they, okay. A lot of us, <laughs> when you start doing the work and um, people, especially the LGBTQ community, you know, and the mainstream media will say, you're the first ever to ring my gong as a queer person. And, and, and then, you know, so I completely understand when you're doing the whole social justice work that that goes even deeper than just the, the surface meaning of, of it all. Uh, Sean. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I feel like when you ask about those things on one hand, it's very affirming for, um, you know, me and Shauna have both survived violence and harassment and discrimination um, because of, you know, other people's stuff with, you know, around who we are. And um, also, I feel like there's great opportunity um, invisibility in our opportunity with that comes with our visibility. And I think that... Um, both of us take really seriously if there are opportunities given to us because of that, that um, we're always just, I think our hearts are always like, how can this, how can this lift up all of us who are in the room? You know, like how, how can this be shared? And um, cause I'm really conscious of how as a white trans masculine person, there's a reason that I can, yes, I can take credit for my hard work and my talent, but also there's a reason that as a white person, as a transmasculine person, that, um, that I get to be lifted up as the first in some of these things. Um, that's not to discount the very, very hard work <laughs> I put into it, but it means that, um, you know, I do a lot of national traveling and advocacy around trans intersectional trans equity and dance. And for me, the commitment is always um, asking that conference or that presenter to then not only bring me, but to bring some of the really accomplished black trans women, black trans femme, GNC people of color, leaders and artists with me to speak with me because I can speak about my experience and my limited vantage point, you know, on equity in the dance field. But 
what the field really needs is um, a, breadth of, a breadth of voices, um, particularly, I think, from primarily from um, disabled folks, folks of color. And so I just, my again, my heart's passion is just to hopefully leverage ways that I get some of those opportunities bestowed on me to share them, you know. Um, yeah, and I feel very blessed. Like, we actually get a lot of comments um, when we're out. Like, we'll be at Walgreens, and the cashier will say, oh, you two, young love, so mm-hmm. sweet. And we're like, we've been together for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really feel like every day I'm just so in love with Shauna Virago, and it just I keep getting more and more deeply in love with this amazing human. And it's that intersection of all those mm-hmm. things, politically and spiritually and supporting each other's journeys, like, you know, around our work as white people, um, around our spiritual work, all of those things, you know, having a a partner in in crime is amazing. Can I jump in on that really quick? So I also want to say, I think we're both aware, clearly we've benefited from people who've gone before. Mm -hmm. And so many people who um, no one knows about, people who have had so much oppression in their lives um, and we'll all hopefully keep creating a stronger foundation for the future. For example, I've lived here almost 30 years and there was an, uh, a trans woman. She's, she's had some challenges and some, um, I think she's gone in and out of homelessness, but uh, her name is Bambi Lake, mm-hmm. who's a musician and you know, I mean, I think if Bambi was here, I would say we don't always get along with each other, but I have a lot of respect for her mm-hmm. for being out there long before I was, you know, like, I mean, she's probably at least 15 years older than me too. But I just want to say, like, I do think Sean, you know, he's, he's a pretty humble guy. And in some ways he really is, I think as much as you can be a first, but somebody that really has broken a lot of new ground in dance. Mm -hmm. Like I do think there was a before and after with Sean creating space for trans, out trans dancers. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Is that kind of uh, what I was getting at? Like every time, you know, somebody says a first, it actually means um, something much deeper, what we're doing here with our work. John. Um, if you could talk a bit about, I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, the first trans, open trans person on the cover of Dance Magazine in November. Uh, we were talking about the punk scene. Also, the film scene. I mean, how have those, I don't want, I guess they're industries, but those fields, let's say, been as far as being receptive about, about reacting to the social justice issues you bring up and say, hey, these are changes that need to be made. I mean, what what sort of reaction and what sort of changes have you seen within them? And if you could both. It's an interesting, I think, time to live because, um, Michelle, I'm, I'm sure you also have, you're like watching and monitoring all the changes in, in media, um, whether it's film or um, people who are doing this sort of talk, community talk, work that you're doing and, and giving um, opportunities to different voices and how it seems that, and it really depends who you talk to, 
So for me, on a personal level, I think there's clearly more opportunities now for people in um, probably across the board in our country. And despite the, the Trump administration's kind of war against trans people, like we're really on their shit list, obviously. And um, I mean, banning... There, it's amazing that I, as a pacifist, am defending people's right to be in the military. And yet to have a ban of a demographic of people in the United States based on their gender expression to not be in the military is outrageous. And where is, where is the, the, the outrage on like Colbert or Rachel Maddow, right? Where is the outrage? And I, I think that, I think there's the different levels. So there's the one level that capitalism, corporate capitalism can create markets out of anything. And so we have some people that can have a commercial appeal getting opportunities, right? But we still have like a transparent having a non-trans person in the, t- in the role, the main role of the show. Mm-hmm. And I always say, how do you perform being trans? Like, what, what is that about? What does that mean? It's ridiculous. And so it might have given opportunities to writers and directors, but they missed an opportunity. So it's like when communities need to be in charge of their stories and in charge of the, the means of producing those stories. And, um, you know, even if we get the trans Rachel Maddow, doesn't mean black trans women aren't being targeted by law enforcement and um, abusers and being murdered, right? Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we have a ways to go. And um, yeah, I think, I do think we'll eventually get there. Probably when there's no polar bears left and, um, you know, there'll be like one clean <laughs> spring of drinking water in, in the planet, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely think I am an optimist. I believe in I believe in forces of good, and I believe there will be two springs of fresh water. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, so I say that only because um, I also a lot of people will ask me about like you know how is the trans moment impacting the dance field and talk about the trans moments, and I always like to stop for a second and say that I think of it as a cisgender moment, and for folks who don't know the word cisgender, C-I-S, cisgender, means somebody who is assigned um, a gender and sex at birth, and they identify with that later in their life. They're like, yep, I was, it's a boy, it's a girl, I'm still good with that, that's me, that's cisgender. So I call this a cisgender moment because... Um, we still really only have cisgender people um, who, are the, who are decision makers and have access to um, cultural power um, and decisions around who gets resources. Um, but cisgender people are like, oh, there's trans people. Maybe some of them are talented. Maybe this is interesting, right? So what happens when you don't change structures of decision-making power, but you are aware of trans being interesting is you have shows like Transparent and you have like white cisgender dudes getting Academy Awards and Emmys for their brave portrayal of trans people, um, which is really dangerous because it actually reinforces the kind of very trans woman phobic um, 
stereotypes that all, that directly lead to the murder of trans women and especially black trans women in this country. So, um, so I think, and what I see in the dance field are two things. On one hand, I am so excited. I see so many young people coming up through. Um, dance studios and conservatories, dance departments and colleges and universities who are like gender binary. That's that's so 1990s. You know, they're like half of high school kids identify as non-binary. They're all over stuff. They're amazing. And they're really bold. They're like, hey, professor. Hey, teacher. Where's the bathroom for me? Like, they're super great at advocating for themselves. They're articulate. They're smart. They think intersectionally. Um, so that's true. And I feel very confident that if we can get to a future, um, speaking ecologically, that we're going to be in great shape in the hands of these wonderful humans. Um, so that's wonderful. On the other hand, what I experience of um, the dance field currently is that still pretty much the entire dance field's leadership is still all cisgender. So again, not not trans. And so um, the modern dance field leadership has still really not taken up um, the cause of trans equity and thinking intersectionally about justice. Um, and so there has just been a real lack of action. I think what I speak a lot about in the field is that there's a real disconnect between people's really positive values, a lot of leadership and you know, it's it's funders and grant makers, it's people who program um, season shows and theaters being very trans supportive in their values, mm-hmm. saying, I care about trans people, I care about trans rights, but then not hiring trans people into their senior leadership team or not doing trans equ- equity trainings for their boards, not programming trans artists or not programming more than the one token trans artist every two seasons, not making all gender bathrooms, just not taking action. So... Um, Right now, I see a real disconnect between people's personal trans supportive values and the total lack of action in the field. Um, so perhaps because I'm 47 and maybe you get crankier with age, I'm now as I speak, I'm a, like a little bit less patient. I'm like, okay, like I just spoke last week into a room full of, of grant makers and I basically was like, you're all cisgender. You hold all the power. This is a super intense power dynamic and you're not doing anything. Like you need to act. Your values mean nothing if you're not acting. And, um, and part of why I care so much is that like I have, you know, spent a long, a long, along in many isolated and lonely years in the field, but when I see the suffering of my trans siblings who, um, you know, nobody will hire to teach and nobody will hire in their companies, um, who, you know, have been asked to leave training programs at Alvin Ailey or ABT or, you know, and there's no accountability in the field for this kind of um, harm that's being done to my community. Um, so I started off saying I'm, op- I'm an optimist because I do believe that, you know, change will happen. But I think what has to happen first is that cisgender people have to hold each other accountable for the lack of change and have to start putting systems in place where they have to start every year answering for, OK, what did we accomplish this year? What's been done? And and kind of holding each other lovingly accountable. Mm. And yeah. what reaction did you get from that room full of cisgender? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, yeah, were yeah. they listening politely and they're going to go think about something else right yeah, away? Yeah, this, I or mean, it was, think, was yeah. Any, has there been any continuing back and forth with you uh, and any of them? Yeah, it was, um, it was at a national conference of about 500 um, grant makers. And so this particular room was about 40 to 50 people who chose to come to a session I had organized around trans equity, intersectional trans equity. So the folks who were in the room, 
definitely cared more, and many of them were already involved in some action work. Um, and what I also did during that session was I asked everyone to respond, to take some time and respond with an action step they would commit to doing in the next six months. So we got a lot of folks saying, okay, I'm committing to this specific action step, and I'm saying it in front of my colleagues, so I'm accountable. Um, and I also asked that they go back to the conference and ask the conference next year to have a, a keynote panel in front of the whole 500 people around these issues. Because I said, as long as cisgender people can keep opting out of this conversation, the change won't happen. And so um, Susan Fetter, who uh, is the, the director of the arts, performing arts program in the Mellon Foundation, a very, very prestigious national arts funder, um, stood up and said, I'm on the board of this organization, and I will bring this back and suggest that they need to get this information in front of the whole conference next year. So, so that was great. And we, you're right, and we can't leave it only to uh, tr the transgender community to talk about, you know, being protective of the transgender community. I have to think of a good example uh, and being a cisgender person myself. And one example I can give, maybe this is practice that we do every week when we go around asking cisgender folks, how, how do you come through for the transgender community? Um, but I like this story. I spoke at the Customs and Border Patrol one Pride uh, year and and people in the community were like don't go don't go I, I mean I didn't even know like I would even be able to enter because you know they take your blood and, <laughs> and all that stuff and check who you are um, but there was a manager there there was a, a, a woman who had you know heads all the the policies and I don't remember her name but for for Customs Border Patrol TSA and asked about transgender how to how to be more inclusive um and i think you know i said I, I had one line i said to her i was like here's something for you to think about you know some men have vaginas and some women have penises and, and if you think about how you the practice of even folks who are going through the security line like how does that apply to your behaviors of your TSA officers. So, you know, you should ask, actually, you should, you should hire some transgender people to rewrite those policies. And uh, I never got asked back again, but I hope that, <laughs> <laughs> I hope that one day they change it. Um, so if you're listening today, you know, this is basically what it comes down to. Yes, they are the first. Yes, they are impacting our, the first of many things is what I mean. And they're impacting our communities. They're making changes within our communities. They are going to change even, um, you know, how uh, archaic some visuals of performance and expression is in the arts and entertainment but everybody else has to get in the mix in order for us to get to the place where yeah. we're all equal. <laughs> it's now time for our audience to ask questions. So um, we have a roving mic going around. Uh, and uh, please, yeah, if you've got a question for Shauna, Shauna we'll take them. Hi, Sean. This is directed to you. Um, I um, wanted to know how you work with your dance company, because I've seen you many times, and I'm totally impressed with um, uh, the fact that you have maintained your dancers, which is unusual in, um, in dance world. And, um, and it seems um, very collaborative. And I was, and I was wondering if, if how that works mm -hmm. as far as with um, when you're working together. Mm -hmm. Thanks for asking that question. Um, so yeah, my company, my family of dancers have danced for me, with me for um, between 13 years and four or five years, I think is the shortest. Um, and I think that 
Um, that really is about the DNA of the company and kind of, and my DNA and how I roll as an artistic director. So that's true in the company as well as in the nonprofit Fresh Meat Productions. And I think that um, the first thing is being heart centered and leading with kindness. You know, being really grounded in process and there being um, not just a connection but total consistency between you know, what I want to be on stage. And if that work is, um, if I want it to be transformative and transformational and for that to really reach people's hearts, then that's what we have to be doing in the studio for each other. So, um, like I know amongst dancers, there are some everywhere here in the Bay area, everywhere. There are some dance companies that are known for like you know, making amazing work, but everyone knows how mean the artistic director is in private and how demanding and cruel and how they push their dancers to the breaking point and, like, that's what you must do to get results out of people. And I think the opposite. I think that people thrive. I know people thrive when we're supported to be our most full, authentic selves, when our bodies are supported into sustainable practices, when we get to show up in rehearsal as our full human selves. And so... um when we create a work, there's also a lot of conversation. I talk a lot about, you know, I'm working for more than a year before I get in the studio with my dancers. So I've been researching and writing and working with composers and creating sections of the sound score. Um, and I'll talk a lot about, you know, here's what I'm thinking and here's what I'm feeling. And then how is that for all of you as humans, as my collaborators? So I'm asking... Um, we do ask of each other a very deep level of vulnerability and honesty. You know, I don't... Many dance companies, um, dancers have to kind of show up as technicians and, you know, do the moves and do them beautifully and then kind of, like, do that modern dance glazed eyeball thing that we all know. And it's like I'm asking my dancers to show up as themselves, you know, it's like, so, so Arvion, you're showing up as Arvion and Brian, you're showing up as Brian and Noel, you're showing up as Noel and Will, you're showing up as Will. Um, and that means a lot of trust building and relationship. And so, you know, if someone's going through a really hard emotional time, they bring that into the studio. We talk, we support each other. There's room for, we laugh a lot for sure. And then there's room for tears. There's room for, there's just space. Um, and I forget how unusual that is, but there's just such a deep level of trust. And it's all about our um, relationship as family. And I direct and I choreograph the work. And a lot of how we create it is, um, will be task-based. So I may say, okay, you know, talking to two of my dancers, I want you to create some partnering and I want it to kind of have this feeling. And I'm, I see like this particular shape's in the middle of it somewhere. And can it travel in space between here and here and here are some other parameters and then I'll just put on music and they just go and sometimes that as is is what ends up going in the show sometimes I'll take you know a gesture here and a movement there and and mix it up and and splice and dice and quilt things um, but we all create gesture we all create movement we all create character um, and that is also important. Also, it's important to credit dancers that way. A lot of dancers work this way in the country, in the world, in the Bay Area. But the choreographer will credit, you know, choreographer by Sean Dorsey, performed by. And it's really important to also credit my collab collaborators as creating the movement and performing it. Um, 
Yeah, that's some answers. Any other questions for Sean or Shauna? I have a question for Shauna. What can you give us a pre in the way of a preview for the Transgender Film Festival? Thank you for asking. Um, so the San Francisco Transgender Film Festival is happening uh, November 7th through the 10th at the Roxy Theater. Uh, you can get all the information on um, our programs and tickets at sftff.com. And um, we're the world's longest running transgender film festival since 1997. sftff.org, I meant. <laughs> and um, I think... I think this year I feel um, a lot of the movies are really are in response to, in a way, um, fighting back and offering kind of resistance stories and potential alternative narratives for the future based on this moment that we're currently having. Um, I mean, I think there's this idea of the, you'll hear the trans moment. And I don't know who came up with that phrase. It's been around a couple of years I think some cisgender person in New Yorker magazine or something <laughs> thought, oh, there's, wow, what's going on? Trans. There's trans people making art. Where did and, they come from? And so I don't think there's ever been a real trans moment. Or um, I, I heard this great, what I thought was self-evident truth recently about this country that we've only been in democracy since 1965, which I think's true, right? So I think um, we, we haven't really had the multiple moments yet that we need for queers, for communities of color, for immigrants, right? Um, so I think this festival this year, I think a lot of the curation was about offering... Um, stories that directly kind of challenge what's what's going on. And I think that, I think our festival does screen more films um, challenging white supremacy or the prison industrial complex than a lot of festivals that I think in some ways, transgender festivals that I think really kind of have um, an eye turned towards Hollywood. And that's not been who we are. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think... It's part of, I think, the tradition of the festival, but I think this year is even more that kind of... Um, I mean, if metaphorically speaking, if you could see all of our middle fingers raised towards <laughs> Washington, D.C., or if that's what you're hoping for, this is the <laughs> festival for you. <laughs> yeah. And it's good to get Can't tickets wait. in advance, because I know that a lot of uh, the programs sell out in advance. Yeah. SFTFF.org. And I will say <laughs> something I love about um, attending the festival is that it's just, there's such a, such a robust positivity. People are always so happy to be there. It brings so many communities together who don't always get to hang out together. And um, especially right now, this moment in America, it's just, there's so much joy. People are just so happy. It's like the most amazing, beautiful humans. It's great art. And I love that it is specifically like anti-assimilationist, anti-glossy, you know, corporate, like, um, yeah. So I really encourage folks to check it out who maybe haven't gone before. It's just, it's, it's truly such a pleasure. It's a joy. 
I learned so much from both of you all the time and not uh, not just both of you, but everyone else that you uplift and bring along in your journey. And so if you're listening to yourselves through the entire hour, uh, these are the folks, the leaders in our community who have created the spaces in which society is has not created or has not been inclusive of and uh, has always been there. And while they wait for the rest of the world to catch up, um, yeah, to what the future is and what they've created, what they should be. I mean, this all boils down to why they do their work. I'm so grateful that you're here um, and that you joined the show today and to educate us all and to continue to do so. We have time for one last question, and then uh, we have to wrap it up. Does somebody have a burning question before we end? I have a quick question, but I'll defer to anyone else first. Okay. Uh, do either of you have tours of either type coming up? Chandrasi Dance is touring. We're really blessed right now to be in the middle of a at least twenty city tour of our newest work, Boys in Trouble, um, which uh, is unpacking um, many intersectional questions around bodies and embodiment and masculinity and and so on in contemporary America. So coming up are. Um, our next tour is to San Jose on November 14th and 15th. Um, we'll be in New York at New York Live Arts, January 12th through 14, and Los Angeles in February, and many more cities um, after that. Perhaps I will say out loud that folks can check out our work at SeanDorseyDance.com and can also learn about the Fresh Meat Festival of Trans and Queer Performance, um, our commissioning program, our workshops, all kinds of good stuff at FreshMeatProductions.org. Great. So the last, I get the last question then if no one else has it. Um, there, you, yeah, if there is a planet that we wake up to um, soon, but assuming that that's the case, especially in 2020, there's a lot going on. I was just telling John, you know, the, the trans community continues to be the punching bag of our movement. So anytime you see a change or, uh, well, at, I guess the every year of the movement since it's always been the transgender community impacted first. We're experiencing that at the Washington level there's a Supreme Court case right now that even questions if transgender people should be able to get a job and work openly. Um, that's how horrible it is right now. So my question really lies on um, at least looking to next year in 2020 and mm-hmm. the presidential election. And would love to hear from two incredible leaders of the transgender community in which in what the LGBTQ voters and progressives or anybody who cares about the transgender community, what should you be thinking of when you go cast that vote in the fall of 2020? Um, crickets. <laughs> yeah. You know, my answer with that, I think lately my, my personal analysis has come around to this critique of um, white Christianity from the inception of this country. And so when people, the white folks first got here and invaded, you know, they were, they were motivated. Most of them didn't read. They were, they were ignorant of most things. They had a, a Christianity that justified genocide and slavery, but it was specifically this version of 
this belief system of, of Christian belief system. And even the secular thinkers at the time, the so-called enlightenment thinkers also justified white supremacy and, and genocide and slavery, right? So I think we've, we haven't moved very far from that. And, and so this kind of ignorance and this worldview based on Christianity. And so I, I have a different number of email kind of challenging white people uh, email uh, kind of threads that I've been doing for a long time. And I get people telling me they don't, they don't believe in evolution. And so I always say you're using the wrong verb. You say you accept or don't accept. You've used the word believe too long. You've used the word believe since like, you know, 1492. And so I think... I want to encourage people wherever they can because whoever gets the Democratic nomination I'm personally voting for, who I hope it's a good person, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm going to keep challenging the uh, far-right base. And I think that's something that those of us who have any kind of privilege and are safe enough to do so, I encourage us to do that beyond 2020, but really right now, whether it's a family member, whoever it is to break this kind of stranglehold of stupidity that they, the far right relies upon, that we have to do that so that we can um, steal away a few votes, uh, eliminate a few votes for the far right uh, in 2020. Um, I would love to invite people who are LGBTQ plus to, um, to pause and really do some learning about our communities and our movement's history, um, that a lot of folks who are cisgender in LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus communities don't know that when we look at, um, the very brave uprisings that really were the foundations of our current access to any civil liberties, Compton's cafeteria riots, which was trans women of color, gender non-conforming people of color, sex workers, um, Stonewall, black trans women, Latinx trans people, sex workers, butches, um, that we need to really stop and look at who, whose activism and lives are responsible for our well-being today as a movement and the birth of our movement. And we have to completely change direction because um, um, those movements have leapfrogged over and completely bypassed and, and um, censored and harmed. The, you know. So now you'll see um, at supposedly LGBTQ media events or the recent um, uh, Democratic debate, you know, you'll see black trans women getting hushed and shut down by cisgender, generally white, lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer people, um, you know, as, as raising a ruckus or raising a fuss. Um, and it's like the rest of us need to stop and go, these are the voices whose 
whose legacy and 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 ancestors are responsible for my the things you refer to as my first today. I owe all of that to my ancestors and to these people and um we need a major like stop the rest of us and to um make the first priority of LGBTQ um movement building thinking about voting like so thinking first about undocumented black and brown trans non-binary folks thinking about migrants thinking about um yeah so i just feel like we we have it's, it's a little bit rhymes with grass backwards <laughs> for um most folks right now so i think um a real pause and a real um realignment of priorities for the movement um challenging how groups that have been very harmful to trans people like the HRC which recently came out with a big new trans being priority without having done kind of reparations and relationship building um yeah so i think we need some reparations and relationship building to communities who have been harmed by within our our movement um yes that sounds amazing that sounds amazing and a great note to end so we're all Looking forward to 2020 and hopefully uh, register to vote. Yes. Yes. Register, yes. register to vote. Register to vote. Um, Shauna Viraga, everyone. Sean Dorsey, thank you both for being here on the Michelle Meow Show. Thank you. Thank you. Both. And thank you to our wonderful audience. Uh, again, check commonwealthclub.org slash MMS for the full listing. I forgot to mention, actually, we do have a program tomorrow night. Uh, it's a great program. It's in the evening, and uh, it's anti-blackness in the LGBTQ community, so when POC or, or persons of color is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be, in what my opinion, is a groundbreaking conversation. Mm-hmm. And also another program I do want to promote uh, is Bob Sadawaki and his husband, Wally Brewster, who were the first out gay couple uh, 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 who served as diplomats to the Dominican Republic. And so they will be here to share their story and how they've kind of, you know, addressed the whole first thing. Um, So if you have time, come and see us again. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LM, NOP, and everyone in between. We're here every Thursday live at the Commonwealth Club, and you can listen to past shows at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS.